0: We are going to finish our study in the book of Jude today, so please turn there with me. Um, have you ever been unable to do something where you try as hard as you can, uh, but you're just like, no, this is not going to happen, not going well, just complete failure, complete inability. Today, uh, as we... Study through one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Uh, these last two verses in the book of Jude are packed with truth and beauty about God and what He has accomplished on our behalf. So let's start reading. I'm going to begin in verse 16 and read through the end of, of Jude. These are grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desires. waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you are a God who is able. We thank you that in the midst of our inability, our failures, uh, that you are able to present us blameless. As we study your word this morning, I ask that you'd open our eyes that we would uh, see who you are, your truth, that uh, your word would transform our hearts, Lord, that we would live our lives in in worship to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude begins his closing statement by saying, Now. Remember, he has written to these people in order that they would contend for the faith because of those who have crept into the church. He has given them the specific characteristics to look for in the false teachers. He's also set up a clear distinction between the false teachers and how the church are to live. The last thing he tells the Christians to do is to wait for the mercy of God and have mercy on others. Waiting for the mercy of God requires that we trust that God is going to do what he has promised to do. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's grace or God's mercy, or forgiveness. These are all gifts of God. And when Jude begins this closing with the word now, it is in light of all these things that he's talked about. Now he answers a looming question. But who will deliver us from the apostates into which they lead the unsuspecting? His answer in proclamation is to praise Jesus Christ. Because victory over the apostasy is found in no one else but in Jesus Christ. He's now going to remind us about what God is going to do and who God is. In worship, Jude tells us a single characteristic of God that leads into two actions that God is going to accomplish on our behalf. The response of these actions should well up worship within our hearts. To him who is able. God is able. God being able is a continual characteristic that we see in how the scriptures describe God. And before we look into being, God being able to keep us from stumbling, let's sit in this wonderful truth of God being able for just a moment. How horrible would it be if God was unable? If someone is unable to perform a task, we don't rely upon them to perform that task. We don't trust them to accomplish what we know they're unable to do. Not only would that be silly, it could be seriously dangerous. If God were unable, that would mean that he is not all-powerful and not all-knowing. If God was unable, it would mean that he was incompetent. It would mean that God is not trustworthy. It would mean that God would be at a loss of what to do and how to do things. Being unable to do something disqualifies you from from doing that thing. If someone is unable to do their job, then that's a pretty fast track to being fired because they're unfit to fulfill the task at hand. If God was unable, he would fail to be God. But God is able. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. He is competent and trustworthy. God is able. And this truth is a warm blanket to our souls. Look with me at some of the scriptures, uh, how they reveal God being able. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. God is able to save us. What a glorious truth. We're, we're unable to save ourselves. God is able to save us. God is competent to save. Salvation is possible because God is able. If God were unable to save us, we would be in serious trouble because we cannot save ourselves we are unable to save ourselves we are in desperate need of the saving work of god on our behalf and thank god that he is able to save hebrews 2:18 for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted god god is able to help in times of temptation God isn't just sitting upon his throne far away, looking down at us, pointing his finger at us, and telling us to obey. God is a God who is able to help in time of need. God is able to provide a way out of temptation. He is faithful. God, the Holy Spirit, lives and works within the Christian to will and work according to his good purposes. Whenever you face temptation, remember that God is able to help you. Be encouraged. You do not need to be alone in facing temptation. The Christian has the help of God to resist. Romans 16.25 Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. God is able to strengthen you. When we are weak, which, let's be honest, is... Often, even all the time, God is able to strengthen us. He does this through the gospel, hearing of the preaching of the word of God, the reading of the word of God. He is able to strengthen you. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do more abundantly than what we know to ask or even think. This is unimaginable by definition. We cannot by nature comprehend this. God can do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Far more, not just a little bit more. Far more. This is the greatness of our God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able to make grace abound to you. God's grace is sufficient, and this grace spurs us on to good works, that we may abound in every good work. I'm sure there are more scriptures uh, about God being able, but I'm going to share just one last one with you. Hebrews eleven nineteen. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham, in faith, believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. And guess what? God is able to raise people from the dead. And he's done this already. Jesus Christ is alive today. He has risen from the grave. Jesus has defeated death. And God is able to raise you as well if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. God, being able is an important characteristic of God because without it, we, he would be unable and then fail to be God. If he was unable, then he would not be worthy of our trust. If God could not provide salvation, then... Why would we trust him for it? But God is able. This is a comfort for our hearts. When we look at ourselves and see our sin, our failure, our inability, our incompetence, we can look to a God who is able to save us and rest upon his ability instead of ours. I want you to find comfort and rest in that today. The fact that God is able. Now, Jude specifically celebrates that God is able to keep you from stumbling. God is strong to keep you. God is strong to guard you. This is perseverance. God being able to keep us from stumbling is a mighty and glorious truth. The, the power we have to keep ourselves in love of God comes from the fact that God keeps those who are his. This is the work of God. God does not have his people stolen out from his hand. God does not lose any who are his. We are prone to wander, so this is great news. God does not make mistakes or allow anybody to sift through his fingers like sand sifts through our hands. No, God keeps and holds onto all those who are his with an eternal grip. I don't know about you, but for me... This brings life into my step as I live life. The fact that I know that God is keeping me is inspiring. So that no matter what we face in life, we know that God has an eternal grip upon our heart. No matter if tragedy strikes and it has and it will, or whatever suffering we endure and we have, God has a forever hold on those are his that will not and cannot be broken. God's grip on his people is strong and nothing can overcome it. This reality is an encouragement to me to glorify him and hold on to him even as he holds on to me. And Perseverance is a mark of someone who's been made new. It is a mark of someone who's been saved by Jesus. The one who perseveres, their hope in life is not found in anything on earth but in Christ. And that is why suffering and tragedy and, and loss, although are painful and we grieve and it hurts, these things cannot pull us out of the grip of God's hand because our hope is in Jesus and not in anything else. This is why it is foolish to place our hope in anything other than Christ. Everything else that people put their hope in fail them. People Pass away. Material things break down. Money becomes stale and never satisfies. There's always wanting more. It's never enough. But Jesus lasts forever. In Jesus there is true and lasting hope. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3 says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Lord is able to keep us from stumbling. He is building us and molding us with endurance and perseverance as we go throughout our life. This is not to say that we will never sin again after being saved, that's not what Jude is talking about and is not supported elsewhere in Scripture. God is able to keep us from falling the way of the apostates that Jude has been warning about. 1 John reminds us that we still have sin and tells us what to do in the midst of our sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. If, as you go about the Christian life, and you are seeing your sin less and less, and you feel like you have less sin to confess and repent of, be careful. Pride blinds us from our sin. As we grow as Christians... We should be growing in our holiness, which means, yes, we should sin less, but a sign of growing in our holiness is that we are more aware of the sin in our life because we are seeing life and our heart more and more like God does, and therefore we see our sin more and more as God does. As we grow in holiness, we see the sin in our life that we didn't think about or were completely unaware of, and this draws us closer to God as we confess and repent and glorify God for the fact that our sins have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christians still sin, but we are to put sin to death in our life. If we are not seeing sin in our life, this is evidence of a prideful heart. It could also be a sign that we are just going through religious motions. Hosea 6, 6 says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt burnt offerings. As we grow in our faith and grow in holiness, there will be a brokenness about ourselves. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. These are characteristics of those who are moving closer to the Lord. A broken and contrite heart are not characteristics of the apostates who have crept into the church. Remember, they're loudmouth boasters. They're scoffers. They're not broken about their sin, but rather they revel in their sin. They love their sin more than God. But someone with a broken and contrite heart is someone who sees themselves clearly This is someone who comes humbly to the Lord, knowing their need for mercy and forgiveness. And this results in worship of God as they receive the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. God is able to keep us from stumbling. Those who God has saved, he has given a new heart. Along with the new heart come a new set of desires, and these desires are to worship God and be obedient to him out of love for him. We will still struggle with sin in our life. There's still a war going on within our flesh, but with a broken and contrite heart, we are able to come before the Lord with our sin, knowing full well that he is faithful and just, to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is able to keep us from stumbling also because God finishes what he starts and we aren't like that. I know that there are plenty of, th- of things in my life that I have begun and have not finished. I'm sure there are some of you that are like me that have started something and you haven't finished it. And there's, I know there's several books on my shelf. Began it, and didn't quite finish it. There's also things in life that I only sort of completed. It was kind of like, eh, that's good enough. Okay, we'll be done. But wasn't completely completed. It was just good enough to get by. Listen to this, Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is able to keep you and guard you because he finishes what he starts. God is not lazy. If God has begun a good work in you, he will finish it. He will complete it. And so we know that if you are saved, you'll be kept for Jesus and by Jesus because he will complete his work in you. John 6.37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And Jesus does not lose any of those who are his. Secondly, God is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You and me, blameless before God. This is a remarkable truth. Blameless before the presence of God. Here's the thing none of us on our own are blameless. We're a sinful people. If we are to appreciate this amazing truth that Jesus is able to present us as blameless before the presence of God, then we need to see the depth of what Christ has done on our behalf, to see the depths of what he has saved us from. Back in the beginning, God told Adam that if he disobeyed and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would die. Because of the wages of sin is death. God is the giver of life, and death is the consequence for disobedience to him. Adam and Eve ate from the tree and brought sin into the world. Mankind brought evil into the world. And since then, man has has waged war against God. Sin is to look at God, who is worthy of all our worship and all of our obedience, and to say to him, no. You will not be the king of my life. I will be. Sin is treason against God, our Creator. Sin is to imitate Satan. And imitation is a high form of worship. When we sin, instead of imitating Christ, we are imitating Satan himself. And imitation is worship. Sin is to worship Satan treason against Almighty God. We are all guilty of this. Without God changing our hearts, we are people who hate God. We call good evil and evil good. We call darkness light and light darkness. Without God, man does what is right in his own eyes, completely driven by self-worship. There is no love for God, and any love for others is tainted by selfish motive. In our sin, mankind has looked at God, the creator of the universe, who has given us life and breath, and we use the life he has given us to scorn him and war against him. We use the breath he has given us to curse him. We use the tongue he has given us to slander him. We use the hands and feet he has given to us to battle against him. We use the eyes He has given us to despise Him. Mankind is wicked, using every amount of strength that God has provided to us in order to rebel against Him. Without Christ, mankind is wicked and depraved and willingly enslaved to the power of sin. And this is an important distinction. Mankind is not enslaved against their will, no, mankind is willingly enslaved to their sin and revel in it. The consequences for this rebellion is more than just physical death, but spiritual death. When was the last time you thought about the second death? An eternal hell. Eternal hell is what sinners like you and me, rebels of God, deserve. Hell is a real destination, where real people with real souls are headed to a real eternity. 2 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 5, says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Eternal hell is the just and right judgment of God against sinners. Hell is a place of earned affliction, Hell is a place where the righteous vengeance of God takes place. It is a place of eternal punishment, eternal suffering, that is away from the presence of the Lord and his glory. The truth of Psalm 1611 will not be given in hell. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand... Are pleasures forevermore. There is fullness of joy in the presence of God, but in hell, because hell is away from the presence of God, there are no pleasures, but instead pain and destruction. Hell is not just separation from the presence of God, it's far worse than that. God is not completely absent in every way in hell. There is no joy or pleasure or love in hell because those things are reserved in the presence of God. However, hell is a place where no person can hide from the just wrath and anger of God towards sinners. God's power is there enforcing his holy justice. Honestly, it's hard to describe or even imagine hell. This is because we all see the beauty and grace of God right now. Even the unbeliever experiences the crom- common grace of life, joy, pleasure, and, and beauty, even now. And even when I look at fire, I can see the beauty and in the incredible, vibrant, and mesmerizing colors of hot coals and the flames looking over the wood. Campfire has a sweet, a sweet fragrance that I enjoy, but there is nothing that will be beautiful or sweet about the experience of hell. All we know and have experienced is dripping in the grace of God. All we have experienced is saturated with the love and grace of God. Even all that we can imagine and think is through the lens of the common grace that God has provided to us. And hell goes beyond what we can imagine because it's a place where the grace of God is absent even the common grace that we all experience. It is a place where the totality of God's wrath is poured out. Scripture gives us some descriptions to help us understand what this place will be like. It is a place of darkness. Remember, back in verse 13 of Jude, Jude describes it as a place of gloom and utter darkness that is reserved forever. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew thirteen forty one. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of unquenchable fire. Isaiah sixty six twenty four says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to the flesh. Hell is the chosen destination of all who sin. Every sinner goes to hell willingly, because they in their sin have rebelled and resisted God, and have chosen life without him. It is also a place of torment. Revelation 20, and verse 9, and a few verses forward say, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And skipping down to verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And we are all sinners. You and me. Do you see our predicament? This is our destination, destined to endure wrath of God and punishment for our sin and rebellion against God. And we are unable to present ourselves before God as blameless. But in the midst of this horrifying news, we have the best news in all the world. We have good news that the holy and righteous anger of God towards you and me, because of our sin, because of my sin, because of your treason and In my treason against God, this holy wrath has been paid in full. Already, so that you and I do not have to experience the wrath of God. But rather we can experience joy and life with God forever. How could this happen? Because of the fact that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you and me. Jesus had the wrath of God that was directed towards us because of our sin poured out upon him at the cross. Jesus took on the pain and torture of wrath of God in your place and in my place. He did that for you. Out of his love for you, he did that. That Jesus may be able to present you as blameless before God that he would completely wash you of all sin. One of the sweetest verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is incredible news. And not only does Jesus completely wash away all of your sin, All of your transgression, all of your unrighteousness. But Jesus also gives us his perfect life, so that when God the Father looks upon you, instead of seeing the sinfulness of your life, he sees the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. If Jesus only took away our sin, then we would be neutral no sin, but also no perfect obedience. But Jesus did more than that for us. He gives us his life so that we may be made perfect. We are made blameless. We are made holy. Colossians 1.21 And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because of the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf, he is able to present you holy and blameless before him. And not only does he present you as holy and blameless, but he presents you before God with great joy. Did you know that Jesus is looking looking forward to presenting you before God? Hebrews 12, 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And it keeps getting better. This was his plan all along for you. Before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world, God planned out this salvation for you. He planned that you should be holy and blameless before him because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And the Lord will complete this work in those who have repented of their sin and believe in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians five twenty three twenty four 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jesus has taken you, Christian, lost in your sin, and has given you new life. That instead of spending eternity in hell, being tormented by experiencing complete separation from God, that you may have eternal life, being in in perfect communion with God for all eternity. And there is fullness of joy in the presence of God. Because of the precious salvation that God has provided to us through his son, Jesus Christ, we are now able to use the life he has given us to worship him. We are able to use the breath he has given us to bless him. We are able to use the tongue he has given us to praise him and worship him. We are able to use the hands and feet he has given to us to work out for his good pleasure. We're able to use the eyes he has given us to see the world around us as he sees it. We are able, by the power of the Spirit, to live a life for the glory and praise of God who created us. And just as hell is unimaginably horrifying, heaven is even more unimaginably great. And we have this to look forward to, all because of what Jesus has done. The only appropriate response to this news is to worship, to ascribe to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Those of you who do not believe, I desire that this would be a loving warning to you that eternal hell awaits, but if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, you will be saved. And these promises can be yours. Those of you who have believed, I want to encourage you. Jesus is able to present you before the glory of God as blameless. And Jesus will do this with great joy. So now, by the power of the Holy Spirit living within you, live in this joyful reality today. With whatever situations we face in life, a birth of a baby, a death of a loved one, a job loss, a graduation, even a mask mandate, we can rejoice in the thankfulness and our thankfulness of Jesus as we know that he is able to present us blameless before God with great joy. Let's respond to this truth in in worship. Lord, we come before you in thankfulness and amazement and awe We know that we are people who deserve your wrath. We deserve your judgment, but because of your great love towards us, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, taking on the full wrath of God that we fully deserved. And he rose again from the grave so that now that those who believe can have eternal life, instead of facing eternal death, we can have eternal life with you. Lord, help us to remember this, that we would never forget this truth, that we would live in light of this reality, that we would worship you, that we would spread this amazing, joyful good news to all that we know and all who we see, that people in our nation, and our community would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.